This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Around this time of year, many people are working towards their newly set New Year's resolutions. And as we know, the most popular ones often include losing weight, going back to the gym, or dieting. But some people are turning away from that tradition, especially because of the harm that it can have on their body image, mental health, and even their physical health. Diet culture, beauty standards, social media, health inequities, and more can play a role in creating negative views of ourselves and how we go about our own health journeys. So how can we create more positive relationships with our bodies, food, and movement? Now, to answer this question, I talked with a panel of guests, non-diet personal trainer Angel Casas, Bethany Dorfler, who's a gastrointestinal research specialist and clinical dietitian at Northwestern Medicine Digestive Health Center, and Dana Bukeri, the owner and personal trainer for Strong with Dana. I started out by asking the panel whether they made health goals this new year. Here's Beth. I did. Um, and one of the things that I work on for myself and certainly with my clients is our eating patterns. You know, I think eating on a schedule, eating more plant-based, some of these things that directly energize us mm-hmm. and are really good at reducing chronic disease risk. So it's on my personal list for sure. Yeah. What about you, Angel? Health yeah, goals? definitely. I value my health very much, uh, but just not physical health, a uh, holistic approach, mind, body, and soul. I'm also taking care of our mental health and taking care of just movement and um, better connection with my body. So, yes, definitely. Dana? I'm always rehabbing some nagging injury. So this year I'm focusing on the like the uh, place where it actually happens is in my foot. So I'm getting a lot of foot uh, information this year. How do you go about creating those goals and plans uh, and, and sticking with them, Beth? I often look at what is a pain point for my clients. You know, what causes them a lot of stress and anxiety? Um, And sometimes they're doing things that they know make them feel good, but they're not doing it with the frequency that they want, um, or they're beating themselves up because they're multitasking and distracted. So usually I first start with, what is one to two things in your life that are really stealing your energy? Maybe eating habits, exercise patterns, and then we develop goals around that. What about for you, though, personally? Oh, for me personally, I'm looking for more energy. I've got three kids. I'm yeah. working full time, and I'm looking at how. what are the energy drains in my life, mm-hmm. um, and how do I, A, remove them and energize myself better with my eating patterns and exercise patterns? You see how hard I'm nodding? Because that's exactly what my health goal is yeah. is for this year, is more, more energy. Uh, Dana, according to the data firm Statista, more than half of adults in the U.S. said that they wanted to exercise more mm-hmm. as their 2022 
mm-hmm. New Year's resolution. And uh, the other top resolutions were to eat healthier and lose weight. Why do you think this is such a popular goal in the first place? Why does everyone seem to default and head to that? I think it's our diet culture. It's it's so insidious. Um, we're always told to shrink ourselves, lose weight. That equates health. And that's just, and if we don't lose weight, in 2023, 2022, we feel like a failure mm-hmm. and it just keeps building on itself if we don't really get to the root of the problem, which is really like systemically understanding what health really is. And we'll dig more into that for sure. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Why is everybody going to that that plan? Why, why is that just the ultimate New Year's resolution? Definitely. I think we're just bombarded with this material everywhere. Shrink your body, lose weight, look better, feel better. Um, and we just want to be accepted and loved and we want to be healthy, right? So what I see with a lot of my clients is they want to move their bodies. They want to uh, improve their relationship with food, but it's too complicated. It's just too hard. Dieting is a lot of restriction. Um, it's really harmful in your body. Um, you're losing the weight, but what is the relationship with the food and the fitness doing? So what I do with my clients is we got to go baby steps. Let's go really small. I believe in the one minute exercise a day, five minutes, 10 minutes. Meet your body where it's at. Um, you know, if people want to go to all fruits and vegetables, pick one that you really enjoy. I think it's all about breaking it down to a really small baby habit and going there. And let's be clear, Dana, is there anything inherently wrong with wanting to look a certain way? I would say inherently no, because diet culture. So we have compassion for people that want to change their uh, their look. They want to change a number on a scale. It's not inherently wrong because... We're bombarded social media, uh, you know, met now medical weight loss uh, things kind of coming up, too. So mm-hmm. I just have compassion for people that want to lose weight um, or look a certain way. But I can't actively cut your calories for you. That's not what I do. That's not my value. Now, Beth, a few moments ago, Dana mentioned uh, diet culture, right? Uh, it's one of the reasons why people want to change their bodies. And so for people who aren't familiar, can you tell us how you would describe diet culture? I think there is a really important distinction between medically supervised weight loss and diet culture, which really has this sort of wider media element to it. And I think diet culture for me is weight loss at any price. That's sort of what I would define it as. Uh, People who will um, go to sort of non-experts for dieting advice, try things that they know are risky, but to really get to the bottom line of a certain number by a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. Do you think there are pros or cons to diet culture, Dana? That look on your face says (laughs) it's all cons. (laughs) Just that restrictive uh, obsession with food and exercise it just it does a lot of harm. So even if you don't have an eating disorder, but you're talking to people that might have a history of disordered eating or eating disorders, it's just kind of continues that harm cycle. Yeah. And that's what we are trying to unlearn uh, or trying to obliterate uh, uh, with our work specifically. So, so, so Angel, nothing good comes out of diet culture? <laughs> nothing good. I mean, diet culture is teaching you how to disconnect for your body. It's teaching you, I need to be 160 pounds. No matter what, we need to shrink our bodies. And then Instead, I'll be happy. And then I'll be happy. And then I will be loved. That's the number. Never recognizing the entire journey you're taking or developing an abusive relationship with fitness and food. Um, so, no, I would always say holistic health is so much better because uh, it connects to your body. I yeah. think the other thing to me with diet culture, it's inherently tied into capitalism and racism, too. Mm-hmm. So 
keto or caveman diets or things that eliminate like half of you know the the world the world that eats rice plantains bananas now we're saying they're bad mm. so there is inherently tied into racism and capitalism when we talk about diet culture too mm. it's a eurocentric way of looking and being angel you were formerly a weight loss practitioner yeah Tell us about why you transitioned out of that and became a, a non-diet trainer. And explain yeah, what a non-diet sure, trainer yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. So I was deep into weight loss culture. I had my own weight loss business because I, like everyone else, believed that weight loss equals health. And I wanted to help someone else to do what I had done, which had been lose over 100 pounds. Um, I started it during COVID and the business just grew. But something was off, especially when I was working with eating disorder clients. And, you know, when we were following restrictive diets and I can see how much harm it was causing them or putting them on a scale or doing before and after photos, mm. it made me to go look out for help for myself. Mm. And I got diagnosed with an eating disorder. So getting diagnosed opened up my eyes to all the systems of oppression that exist that cause these eating disorders, such as fat phobia, such as white supremacy, um, and recognizing that none of that is health. So I, and my ethics, my morals were like, I can't continue to do this anymore. This makes no sense. I'm causing so much harm which made me become a non-diet personal trainer, which means that I don't prescribe any diets. I prescribe connecting with your body, intuitive eating, uh, listening to your hunger cues, listening to your fullness cues. Mm -hmm. um, and to kind of what Bethany does as well is understanding our gut mind reaction, you know, brain gut uh, connection and understanding um, how do I connect more with my body to get to the health markers I want instead of following some exterior diet, which has caused me to completely revamp my business. So let's talk to you a bit more here, Beth. As a dietitian, Give us some advice for folks who are saying, right now, I just want to start eating better. Yeah. Where do they begin? So I think there, there are a few things. Um, what we eat matters and how we eat matters. So I'd like to start with sort of the latter with people. Typically what a registered dietitian does is we go through sort of, uh, we'll say, hey, tell me a little bit about your eating patterns. People may eat one way during the week, one way during the weekends. People may eat a lot of calories sort of after night uh, or eating, I should say, foods that really don't make them feel good. Like uh, I eat great during the day, eat foods that I feel good about. And at night is where I really struggle. So I think first we like to take a diet history and get a sense of what people are eating, when they're eating, how they're eating. Mm -hmm. And then we have them identify as sort of one to two things that we think are either energy drains or are sort of holding them back from uh, having a healthier eating pattern. And, and when you talk about healthier eating patterns, what is it uh, to eat healthy? Sometimes folks actually don't know what that means. Yeah, it's a great question and one that we talk about with our clients a lot. In fact, to echo what Dana had said, uh, there are many ways to eat healthy. So first I want to establish that. It looks different for everyone. It looks different for everyone. It's very healthy to have, say, a traditional like East Asian diet that may have a higher carbohydrate content. It's also very healthy to eat lower carbohydrate if you are have diabetes and you're doing a little bit more protein and produce. So there's a wide range of what is acceptable. But in essence, there are a few themes. First, I like people to think about their produce. We know that eating enough produce has many health benefits. It can protect us from cancer. It helps manage cholesterol. Um, it helps keep our bowels going. Um, and when people eat more fiber, they feel more full. So first, we're starting with produce. And Americans don't eat enough. So that's that's a positive thing. That's a do more behavior that mm -hmm. we want. Yeah. The other thing is that we want people eating more whole grains and, and plant-based things, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans. 
And then the last thing is animal protein. Maybe you eat it, maybe you don't. And when you are eating animal protein, of course, we want you to be able to eat things that you enjoy, but we also want to prioritize things that you enjoy that are good for your blood vessels and good for your blood sugar. So I mm. think protein, grains and seeds, and then looking at animal uh, you know, proteins from there. To that end, Angel and Dana, I want to hear from you both on this. What should folks, as we're giving advice to the people listening, what should they look out for? How, how, how do they do this without shame or depriving themselves of the foods they actually want to eat? Yeah. You first, Angel. I think like um, in the in the conversation of diet culture, diet culture assigns a lot of morality of food, mm-hmm. good food versus bad food. And the shame of I ate a burger, I ate pizza is bad, is way more worse than whatever that pizza could have done, quote unquote. So I think it's like recognizing that instead of continually assigning morality of food, how does it make me feel? Mm-hmm. Kind of like what Bethany said. Is it making me feel good? Is it causing me to feel bloated? Is it causing me to uh, have GI issues? That is a much better question than what is healthy and what's not because it's so arbitrary that it makes you go crazy, which is how I felt. Like, what is, you know, don't eat, don't drink water. Water is bad for you. Water is the best. Which one is it? And you just don't know and causes so much chaos, which is why we have this, to your very first question, why does so many want to lose weight? Yeah. Because of the chaos that exists. Yeah. So much information out there, too. I think of like information overload. It is. Yep. It's social media. Like, that's honestly part of the diet that I talk to folks about. And I feel pretty good at discerning like some of the BS that's out there, the harmful or fake info, like your what I eat in a day type of vibes from some of the social media uh, people. So that's another area of the diet that I think we can kind of focus on is, you know, maybe get off of social media for a minute Mm. or, you know, ask a good friend who can really like look at some of these people that you follow and say, this is fake or this is wrong research or like, let's just not look at bikini photos today. <laughs> we, uh, in preparing for this conversation, we talked with dietitian and nutritionist Emily Oshman. We were talking about mindful and intuitive eating. Here's a little bit of what she had to say. Intuitive eating is more of more of an approach that has 10 different stages, you know, that has to incorporate, you know, what you're eating, you know, recognizing when you're hungry, you know, kind of avoiding out, like external voices of critics when it comes to food, any biases you hold. It also looks at just gentle nutrition of knowing that an apple is going to have fiber in it. Fiber is going to make me feel full. Therefore, an apple could be a, an appropriate choice for lunch to help me feel full. Your thoughts, Beth, on, on mindful and intentional eating? Yeah. So this is really two sides of the spectrum. One is being more present at meals. Um, and, you know, as Angel said, not, not assigning a morality to food. Um, you know, let me give you an example. When you are eating a cupcake in the evening and you have it on a plate and you're sitting there and you're like, this is amazing. That has a real different emotional feeling than when you eat a cupcake standing up because you're putting the dishes away and you're watching TV and you're thinking, why did I do that? So I think being present eliminates or dis- or diminishes some of the distress that we feel when we eat. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the other thing is that we do want to decrease mindless eating. You know, I think most of the sort of unhealthy foods that people eat, they're eating while they're multitasking. I mean, yeah, Angel mentioned the, the good foods versus bad foods. Where'd that come from? Well, probably, I mean, 
I can't say, but I think my guess is that it comes from this idea of sort of like the food pyramid where we're saying like, hey, eat these foods first and anything outside of that maybe doesn't have a place. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's there's a role for all sorts of foods, but some foods require a little bit more um mindful eating and some foods we can eat more freely because they they our palate doesn't get stimulated by them in the same way. All right, so Dana, take us back. Where did your interest in training come from? Um, you know, I also I have been in a larger body, so I understand that wanting to make yourself small um and that started with more cardio, which unfortunately is how we learn as women to shrink ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started like losing weight, but also like thinking more intuitively about what movements I felt good in. And I started lifting weights and I was like, this is exciting. Let's do this more. Mm. And then as people saw me, you know, my body changing or getting stronger, or just being more active in my daily life, people would ask me questions. I've been in HR and public relations in the past. So um, when people started asking me questions, I'm like, oh, I like answering questions. <laughs> How do I get paid to do this? So 2015 is when I really started on my journey to becoming a trainer. So and, it's been and, and the training, it sounds like, has changed it has. over I've, the years for you. Yeah, I've been in the big box gym. Um, and then 2020 happened and I just never went back. I just stayed inside talking to my clients one on one and trying to and listen, learn and evolve my language, evolve my brain um, and like love my body more. Um, just kind of notice like what is it's changing? What is it doing for me? I'm also aging. Like what else can I change? So now I'm really anti diet culture. Um, I feel radical, but not really when I just want to affirm people's humanity. Like, that doesn't really feel that radical, but I guess it is. <laughs> um, yeah, and Angel, going to the gym, I mean, we know that that's not the only way to get fit and strong. Yeah. Right? How else can we achieve that? Yeah, absolutely. So I always talk to my clients about first starting by just what feels good for your body, right? What movement do you enjoy? Do you like going out for walks? Do you like putting on that Zumba video? You know, do you like dancing in your living room? Start off first with what feels really good for you. Um, and then for strength training, you know, I have a passion for it because of the amazing benefits that it has for your body, including my favorite, keeping your independence as long as you can. Mm. Um, as we age, we want to be able to go up mountains, travel the world, and we need muscle for that. We need strength for that. Mm. Um, when we don't have it, that's when we start needing home care and other people so to take care of us. So strength training can lead to independence. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what I've I never- teach. Yes. Those two. Do it so you can go up the stairs with your grocery bags, pick up your dog, you know, play with your kids, your grandkids when I you mean, get I just older. carry eight grocery right? bags just because I am, I just think I'm superwoman and yeah. I, I refuse you, to make two are, trips. Right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, my back hurts, you know, like, ah. So you That's start okay. realizing that if you want to live a life, you know, that doesn't have pains, that feels really good, a strong body. I have an 80 year old client, you know, who we train twice a week and I just, I've seen her grow so much and I'm like, I love everything she does because she's like, Angel, this is not working out. This is us hanging out, having fun. I'm like, yes, you know, we're, we're doing this, but you don't even realize you're picking up your groceries. Like, Angel, I picked 24 bottles of water the other day, you know, and she's teaching me how she's squatting. I'm like, yes, oh, that's good. what we do it for. Yeah. That sounds like great results. Well, Beth, talk more about the importance then of having a better relationship with movement and food at the same time. How, how do those go hand in hand? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you look at in some of the um, health psychology literature, we see that healthy behaviors cluster. So on one hand, we don't want people to feel the pressure to do everything right all at once. But when you start focusing on eating healthier foods or getting more movement, 
you have a tendency to do other healthier things as well. And so we really want to sort of focus on that habit, healthy habit building. Mm -hmm. Um, I also want to build on something that Angel said about the muscle piece. It's really critically important because we have a natural age-related muscle decline that happens Mm -hmm. in our starting really in our 40s. And um, once women particularly get around menopause and after menopause, we can see a lot of body composition change. And, you know, I think when clients talk to me about, boy, I'm getting fatter and I really need to lose weight. One of the things that I like to do to sort of sort of shift the narrative is let's talk about your fitness and let's talk about if we think you've had some muscle loss and how we can sort of rebuild muscle. Mm -hmm. It's also important to note that muscle is very metabolically active. So for people who want to sort of eat more calories, you know, have a different body composition, focusing on the muscle as Mm -hmm. opposed to muscle building as opposed to weight loss is a really positive way to spin this. And I, I think in summary... I would encourage people to start thinking about do behaviors as opposed to things they need to stop. That's the way that we can sort of mm. get that positive dialogue going. Yeah, and I, I'm curious, and I'd love to hear from you each on this, how you approach working with folks who have a history of disordered eating. So uh, they already don't have a positive relationship with food. W- where do you begin there? I mean, for me, clinically, I need to assess if the eating disorder is still active. Okay. If it is, whether we're talking about active binge eating disorder, more restrictive purge type, um, then what we need to do is say, hey, there's a role for us to talk about your nutritional goals. But the first thing we have to do is really treat the disordered eating that's going to sort of take over everything else until we get that under better control. Mm-hmm. And that might be connecting them with um, a psychologist, sometimes even a more programmatic approach that, that uh, you know, might be a day program, for example, to do some in-depth work. Yeah. Dana? Yeah, I've actually, that's my community is I have a lot of clients either, you know, from an eating disorder past. I actually also have therapists that are in the eating disorder space who also had an eating disorder. So, like, I have had the very, um, a lot of different experiences there. And so I kind of even use them as, like, sounding boards to talk about, you know, I'm hearing this, this feels like a trigger for this client, or is this a red flag? And then sometimes those guys are also referring clients to me. So uh, I am just okay. like involved mm-hmm. in it and just supporting with compassion as much as I can. And we just try to make the time that we spend together a little bit more like enjoyable, even if you can't call it fun or not, you know, uh, we're not doing harm. It's not fun like angels. I mean, <laughs> it can be. There's lots of laughs. What do you have to add? Yeah, to this for sure. Angel? I think within you know my scuba practice, uh, what I help the clients is I know you. I hear all the things you don't want. You don't want to be eating this food and that food, and you want all these things gone. What do you want though? What does align with your values? Oh, you know, I really love drinking water. Okay, how do we make this enjoyable for you? Um, you know, instead of focusing on the negatives and what we want to take away, what we can add to your life that enhances it and is alignment with the values that you want to achieve. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, do you think uh, you've talked earlier, Dana, about being so anti-diet mm-hmm. culture? Mm-hmm. Is the reason part of the reason why? Because you work with so many folks who come from that disordered eating background and you think that one promotes the other it definitely there's so much harm and it's not just like oh it's social media or like a magazine i looked at when i was 10 it's like their mothers took them to weight watchers at eight nine and ten wow 
Right. So I have a lot of millennials that that was like their introduction into weight loss. <laughs> I just remember the commercials and the phone number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. As a child, like having that memorized. Yep. Why? Why did I have that memorized? Uh, well, how Diet can we, culture, how, Sasha. How can, Diet we, culture. <laughs> how can gotcha. we be more active then yeah. in our day to day? And so like we always talk about like, does this exercise count or does this count and as give us exercise? Small things. For sure. So even like dog walking or carrying your eight bags of groceries thoughtfully <laughs> with your core and not your little sure, back that's right. up the stairs that's what I'm doing. counts as exercise. So those are small things that you can consider as exercise. The other thing, a lot of my clients are either desk sitters, um, standing or sitting desks. Um, and then I have moms that just might be um, not working outside the home, but definitely working. Um, so what we even talk about then is are you breathing Research has shown us over the years we do not breathe while we look at emails or while we scroll on our uh, apps. We don't. We don't. We clench Mm -hmm. our stomach. We clench our jaw. We do not take full inhales or exhales. So even if you don't have a trauma um, in your body, you're constantly in that fight or flight situation just by holding your breath. You're not getting enough oxygen and you're just holding on to whatever the jaw even your butt, which can impact your pelvic floor. So even if you've never had a child, you can still have pelvic floor incontinence. Mm. You can still have constipation from just clenching your butt and just gripping so hard to get through your day, to get through your email, to get your groceries up the stairs. Goodness. So just unclench. Dana and I talk about suck it in, you know? We talk all the time, <laughs> suck it in. Right, sucking you know? in your gut. Like, yeah. Being in that position all the time. All the time. Yeah. Being in a tight position, mm-hmm. that is all these kind of effects that we yeah. don't even think about. So people are doing that for more than just photos. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's oh just goodness. life. Yeah. It's trauma. It is. Trauma response. We got, we got to mention this rise of, of what's being called uh, body positivity influencers online. They're on Instagram. They're on all our favorite social media platforms. Um, some are saying that the movement glorifies obesity or living an unhealthy lifestyle. What do you think of that, Beth? Well, I mean... I I think there's been so much shame associated with being overweight for so long that um, I on one hand, I'm really happy to see that people are saying, you know, this is sort of a new vision of beauty. Um, and I also really think it's at the same time, I don't think these need to be mutually exclusive concepts. You know, someone can be focusing on body positivity and saying I'm a size, you know, 14, not a size six. And at the same time saying, I need to focus on medical weight loss mm-hmm. because my cholesterol is high or I'm pre-diabetic. I need to eat better. I need to exercise more. So um, I, what I will also say is that there are times that we say, you know, 5 to 7% of body weight loss would help regulate your blood sugars better. And mm-hmm. let's talk about how we want to do that in a way that doesn't feel shaming. You know, when I talk about 7% body weight loss, some people are like, well, I want to lose 50 pounds. I'm like, well, but let's talk about what is medically indicated here to sort of regulate your blood sugars and how we're going to make that happen in a, you know, in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, Angel, I'm curious what you think about this too. And I'm also thinking of just the conflicting messaging, yeah, right? So I, I'm seeing posts from these body positivity influencers. And then I'm seeing all this talk about Ozempic and yep. Oprah popping out on the mm-hmm. color purple red carpet and that yes, looking all Oprah. snatched, yeah. as my kids would say, <laughs> in that purple dress, yeah. admitting that yeah. she used Ozempic. So mm-hmm. what are we doing here? Right? Yeah, no, I think um, for me, one of the things that led me to treatment was I started to gain weight. 
and I just didn't understand what was happening. You know, I, I was a professional in the industry. Why am I gaining weight here? And I think, you know, recognizing that in my own journey, body positivity has been really hard, but I love practicing body respect because I don't have to, you know, be in a loving relationship to respect you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's like when you see all these fads, like goes down big, you know, weight loss medication and so forth, you are just tying your worth to a result. You're not tying your worth to health. Mm. This is, I have to be this weight, this number, so that I am in under BMI category, whatever, right? So for me, it's how do we allow ourselves to respect our bodies, practice kindness to them, and all shapes, because bodies are changing all the time. Yeah. We are taught that it's supposed to stay like this. You're supposed to look this beautiful, this young, the rest of your life. None of that is true. Bodies were created to adapt to all of our environments, but yeah. we stigmatize that. And I think we should the normalize this. So you say yeah. body respect, Dana. You say uh, body neutral or I body like, acceptance. I like neutrality for a lot of things. Like, I feel like it's okay. And as we go through that. It's a roller coaster. It's not today, I'm going to love it. Tomorrow, I'm going to love it. It's... Let's be neutral today in a lot of ways. Let's just respect and accept ourselves today and what our body is capable of today in mm-hmm. this moment together. Um, and I practice that like in my own language to folks too. I want people to have fun, but I know things aren't necessarily going to be enjoyable or loved. So we just kind of make some jokes. We make it light, but affirming and kind of reaffirming that neutrality. How do we shift what healthy means, Beth, and looks like? for ourselves and society overall. Yeah. Will that ever happen? I mean, you know, it's interesting because um, I I think medications like Ozempic have been game changers for some of my patients. So I, on one hand, I don't want to badmouth them because one of the things that they do is they, you know, they help people eat less um, and, and they help uh, people sort of have quiet in their brains when they've previously had a real addiction to food. Mm-hmm. Um, they've helped people get their blood sugars under control. So there's a real role for the medication. Um, but I do think that um, this is when it's really important for us to be working with a medical practitioner on getting these prescribed, not doing them at med spas and, you know, um, and things like that. Because yeah. there is a role for these meds and there's also a role to not use these meds. Right. You touched on this early on, Dana, and it's a fact that we can't ignore even in our last two minutes here. Barriers, right? Mm-hmm. They exist uh, when it comes to having a healthy lifestyle. We can't all afford the home-cooked meals. We can't all pay for a trainer. We can't all afford that gym membership. We don't all have time to work out. We don't all have access to produce and and, and fresh, healthy groceries, depending on where we live. Mm-hmm. How do you address that, those inequities? Um, I try to start small with my clients, just breathe. Maybe we just take a moment and do a little stretch at our desk, things like that. Um, and then I also, because I do have a lot of clients that can't afford to pay me, um, I make sure that I either do like a sliding scale for folks that can't, um, you know, whether it's queer or people of color, I, you know, definitely want to make sure everybody has access to me in that mm-hmm. way. And then also just what I preach on a regular basis. If I come into contact with a lot of white people, we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. racism. <laughs> <laughs> that sliding scale sounds, sounds great. Uh, real quick here in the last minute, uh, Beth and Angel, final tips or words that you want to leave listeners with you first, Angel? Yeah, I think, you know, in the conversation we're having right now, it's important to recognize that health has no look. When you say, how do we change what a healthy means or what it looks like? By recognizing there is no look for it. What is healthy for one person is not the same for the other. So, you know, just starting your starting that relationship with your body of, mm-hmm. I want to move it, I want to eat better, whatever that looks like for you, but practicing in small quantities um, that you can achieve and that, that feels good for you. Last word to you, Beth. Uh, I like to encourage clients to think about 
only eating when they're eating. Um, and I think eating while we're multitasking is one way that our eating behaviors feel stressful to us. Yeah. So if we really focus on being present, we think about more plants, some of these sort of gentle ways, mm-hmm. I think some of the problematic eating behaviors can clear up without as much effort as maybe we yeah. initially think. Only eating when we're eating. Mm. I love that. Bethany Dorfler is a gastrointestinal research specialist and clinical dietitian for Northwestern Medicine Digestive Health Center. Dana Bukeri is owner and trainer of Strong with Dana. And Angel Cassas is a non-diet personal trainer. We've been talking about ways that we can create better relationships with our bodies, food, and movement. Thank you all so much. Thank, Thank you. you. This episode of The Reset Pod was produced by Micah Yason, and it was edited by Dan Tucker and Maha Ahmed. If you liked this episode, we'll consider giving us a rating. It helps people find our content. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We will talk again this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.